Well, good morning. First Timothy chapter six. First Timothy chapter six. If you have wondered how long we would be in First Timothy, uh, we are getting close to being finished. We'll actually, God willing, complete First Timothy uh, next week. Um, uh, only twenty-three weeks in Timothy. I thought that was pretty good. Um, we will probably have a few standalone sermons out of the Old Testament uh, before we tackle our next book. And if you thought we spent a long time in Timothy, well, 1 Corinthians is up next. Um, in our elder meeting Saturday, uh, we talked about that. It'll be about a year that we'll be in 1 Corinthians. So everyone just go ahead and go, ah, you get it. So no reason to panic, uh, but we'll be in 1 Corinthians for about a year. Well, a tremendous letter to the church in Corinth. Um, from Paul, and uh, it'll be good for us as a church uh, to walk through that letter uh, for sure. But we still have a couple of more sermons in Paul's letter to his young protege, Timothy. Uh, it has been a rich time in this book, um, and in the closing um, last part of chapter 6, we're going to learn uh, some some more good stuff, which if you have grown up in church is not necessarily anything new, um, which I find very funny. Um, what Paul was telling Timothy is what we should be telling ourselves, very simple things. Um, years ago, I found myself in a revival service uh, with, uh, I had heard there was an old uh, evangelist that I had heard as a child that was nearby, and uh, his name was Mark Cole, and I wanted to hear him, and I went back and heard him preach. And I had been on staff by this time, and uh, but I just remember in the sermon thinking, um, when did Christianity become so complicated? Because it really isn't as complicated as churches like to make it be. Uh, and I think we're going to hear a lot of that from Paul to Timothy about how actually uncomplicated Christianity is. Difficult to walk out, but not complicated. And I think that's what we're going to find in Paul's closing remarks to Timothy. So let's pick it up, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11. Uh, we will go back and grab context for those of you who uh, were ungodly last week and were not in church, just playing, um, maybe. Um, anyway, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11, it says here, But as for you, O man of God, flee these things, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession. To keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in an unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. You would think that would be a great way to close out 1 Timothy, uh, but Paul will continue and we'll handle that part next week. 
But here, in his closing remarks to Timothy, I want to remind us of a few things that might be against what you grew up hearing. Uh, The Bible is not written to you. It is written for you. It's real important when you understand interpreting, interpreting the scriptures that you understand who it was written to. This particular letter is written by the Apostle Paul to Timothy. His audience is Timothy. His concern is for Timothy. Now, yes, it is for us in that what Paul is telling Timothy, Timothy would tell his own congregation. The very commands that Paul inspired by the Holy Spirit to tell Timothy, Timothy would then pass on to others. But in this particular letter, he is most concerned about Timothy. Knowing that if Timothy is not living a life worthy of the gospel, it will be impossible to lead a church to live lives worthy of the gospel. The church is new. There are no seminars to go to. There are no commentaries to read. And it is a difficult life in Ephesus, a city full of wealth and lust and everything that you can possibly imagine was happening in the city of Ephesus. And these new believers, many of them were slaves. If you were here for that sermon, they're here in this church. You're going to find out at the end of 1 Timothy 6, he also has wealthy people in the church. He has this incredible dynamic of all these different people, different backgrounds, setting in a city that is saturated with loving things here. And Paul knows that Timothy is young. And he reminds him here that for you, O man of God, what a powerful phrase for Paul to write to Timothy. Almost bringing back Elijah. O man of God, these prophets, O man of God. God. O man of God, flee these things. Now, if you weren't here last week, you might say, what was he fleeing? What is he asking him to flee? Clearly, it goes back to verses 3 through 10. You could make an argument from the whole letter in some sense. But clearly, he's speaking to verses 3 through 10, which deals mainly with a lust and love of money, believing that if you are godly, that somehow being godly will bring you material gain. And he, Paul says, that is false teaching, that is false doctrine. Do not love this world. Do not fall for the lust of all the stuff that is around us. And don't love money. Because if you love money and that's your goal, you're going to pierce yourself with many pangs, just as we have already seen others do. And he says, listen, Timothy. You can almost hear him looking at a young man and say, listen. you got to flee those things. Flee them. Don't ponder them. 
Don't hang around it. Don't, don't see how close you can get to the edge before you sin. He tells Timothy, flee these things. And here's why. Godly men, godly believers, flee from sin. It is a mark of being a believer. Now, we know we still struggle and we still fail. But here's a very simple principle in Scripture. Paul tells Timothy, you're surrounded by all this stuff. You've got to flee from that. Flee from those things. Flee and run the opposite way. Um, I don't like roaches. I can handle just about anything out there. Um, um, roaches, however, will get me killed one day. Uh, if I'm driving down the road, uh, you could put a snake in the car, which I would not be fond of. <laughs> uh, but if you put a roach in the car, I'm, I'm taking out some people. <laughs> I don't like roaches. <laughs> Anytime I've ever seen a roach, uh, I don't know what your reaction to it is. Mine is not one of going, oh, look at God's beautiful creation. Um, that will be one of my questions to the Lord uh, after several thousand years. I will be like, so can we talk about roaches? I think it's totally from the fall. I don't think it has anything to do with beauty, but that's just me. But when I see a roach and it's anywhere near me, I flee. And here, in this context, this word flee, you should get a picture of fleeing. Now here's Paul to Timothy, you're surrounded by these things, you've got to understand it will not lead to contentment. And so flee from that. Don't move toward it. But I love how Paul, and unfortunately too many churches have told people to flee from sin, which is good. They should, but they rarely finish out the text. He says, flee from these things, and here's what you do, believer. You pursue other things. And so Paul tells Timothy, flee from this, but pursue this. So, so don't go that way. Instead, don't just, don't just try to fight against that. Don't just say no to that, but say no and go after something else. And he says, instead, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. Timothy, flee from those things and pursue these things. There will always be opportunities to pursue the wrong things. you gotta, you got to hear me on this. There will always be opportunities for you to pursue the wrong things. Even for Timothy, even for Paul, even for me as a pastor, and even for you. You can set up as many boundaries as you want to. I can, I can set up as many to not do things 
and don't do that, and I can give you all kinds of ways and, and to, to prevent you from going in the wrong direction. I can do all that, and, and there's nothing wrong with doing that. There's nothing wrong with saying, because I struggle here, I'm going to just stay this far back or, or whatever. But let me help you understand something as a believer. And students, let me help you understand something. One day, mom and dad will not be there to tell you no. One day, the freedom that you crave, you're going to have. And there will be no one who checks to see what time you come in. Well, they probably will, but they won't be able to do much about it. They may have a GPS on your car, but you can probably take it off. (laughs) You eventually will have no one to check up on you. And then you will have to make the decision that everybody else in here has to do when you have the opportunity to pursue the wrong thing, you can choose to stay in that or you can choose to flee from that. Adults, it's no different for you. Christianity is not complicated. It really isn't. There are all kinds of things that, that scream for our attention in this world. And don't you feel it like I do? From the moment you walk, you wake up and you, and you turn on the TV or, or whatever you listen to the radio or, or just drive down the road, everything, every sign is screaming for us to buy or get or, or find happiness here. We know that. We, we feel that. And you yourself have to understand Christianity is very simple. That I want to flee from things that do not bring God glory. And I want to pursue things that does. That's Christianity. I spent six years as a police officer surrounded by people who had given their lives to sin. I remember arresting young prostitutes when they still were pretty. And three years later, the math had taken a toll. And their life had taken a toll. And I would hear them weep and beg me for help. And I would help them get connected to places and they would always leave. Because sin was their master. And I could prevent and I could tell them to do this and I could tell them to do that and I could get them away from this. But here's the deal. Sin was their master and they could not help but pursue sin. Believers, however, believers, however, you have a power by the Holy Spirit that lives in you to help you overcome sin. That should be the evidence of godliness. That you have the ability as a believer, redeemed, made new in Christ, to look at sin and say, God is better and move away from it. And every time that you have it and you've engaged in sin, do you not find it unfulfilling? And God is better. There is action that Paul calls Timothy to. Paul calls Timothy to move away from things and move toward other things. Movement Action, the Christian life is not stationary. It is not attending church on Sundays only or 
finding Bible studies or flipping a devotional guide. It is a daily, hourly pursuit of godliness. It takes action by you to pursue God. Because let me tell you, I don't know if you know it, I don't know if you've experienced what I've experienced, but when you're not pursuing things of God, you know what my heart wants to pursue? Things that are not of God. But I have the power to overcome that. Philippians 2, 12 through 13, you know that's my favorite verses in all of the Bible. Philippians 2, 12 through 13, if you go with part B, it says, work out your own salvation. Work out your own salvation. Let me help you out. Pursue godliness. Pursue things that are godly. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both the will and the work for his good pleasure. Believer, you have the ability in Christ to flee. And if you're here today and you do not know Christ, you do not have the ability to flee. Because sin is your master. Believers, we are no longer slaves to sin. Paul tells us in Romans, you were once a slave to sin, now you are slaves to righteousness. That's our calling. And then he tells Timothy in verse 12, fight the good fight of the faith. You hear these words? Flee, pursue, fight. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. This is not Paul's first time to speak of fighting for the gospel or fighting for righteousness or fighting to take hold of eternal life. We live out as believers what we already have. That is the battle. Live out what you say you believe. If you have it, then live it. Paul would write very similar in Philippians chapter 3. He would say this in 12 through 14. Not that I have already obtained this, being made perfect. Not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it on my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Pursue righteousness. Pursue godliness. Take hold of the eternal life that you have in Christ Jesus. Press on toward that goal. He would say in Philippians chapter 1, to only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. Colossians chapter 1, 9 through 10, he would say, and so from the day we have heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And here's why. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, he would say, For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and we encouraged you and we charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. 
And even if you remember the very beginning of the First Timothy series, in First Timothy chapter 1, 18 through 19, he said this, I, this charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. Five other times the writer of Hebrews would use the same language, exhorting believers to hold on to the, their confession and their faith. And then we see it again in 1 Timothy, the fight, the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession. God has called you to something. And we as believers are to go take hold of it. There's a thousand illustrations that I want to give you that would make me look sophisticated and intelligent. But I can't come up with any of those right now. So I will give you one that I taught students. <laughs> All of those in here who are sophisticated are about to be disappointed, okay? You remember Spider-Man, right? See what I mean? Some of you just went, oh, no. Spider-Man was bitten by a spider, depending on which category you follow, and, and then he had his powers, right? He, he was Spider-Man. Jonathan Edwards would never use Spider-Man. I just know he would. He would be, he just was missing out. But, but Spider-Man had to go learn how to become Spider-Man. If you've seen any of the movies, he figured out that he had web, and he figured out how to climb. Like, like it was already there, but he had to go figure it out. And I would teach students this. Becca may remember. She was one of my students. You, you have this in Christ. You have been saved. You have been redeemed. You have been made holy. You have been set apart. Now, Go and live it. Go out and take hold of what is yours. Press on for that. Forget the things that are behind you. Forget your past and the things that have happened. Let those things that are there motivate you to move toward holiness. Because you are in Christ different. And you have the power to go and pursue holiness. Take charge of the eternal life to which you have been given. And then in verses 13 of 1 Timothy, it says, I charge in the presence of God who gives life to all things of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus, which he will display at the proper time. What is this good confession that Paul references that Jesus made to Pilate? Well, we find it in John 18. In John 18, 28 through 40, I'm only going to pick up verses 36 through 37, but I want you to have the context. John 18, 28 through 40, if you're taking notes. Pontius Pilate is questioning Jesus. And Jesus says, my kingdom, in verse 36, Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world if my kingdom were of this world, my servants would not have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, 
So you are a king? And Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Jesus' good confession. I am who I said I am. I am the Messiah. And that is the same confession that we are called to hold to. That Jesus is the King of Kings. He is truth. And that belief changes us. And then Paul tells Timothy to keep the commandment. And to keep the commandment unstained. There is some debate here about what commandment that actually is. But we do know there's some kind of action called again by Paul for Timothy to do. And he says, keep. So we have flee, we have pursue, we have take hold of, we have keep. We have all these action words. And then we come to this, keeping this commandment unstained. Uh, and it could be. Uh, the previous commands given by Paul to flee and pursue, it could be the context of the letter. Uh, many commentators, and my, I myself would be one, think this commandment to be the gospel itself. A belief in the gospel moves one to obedience to the commandments to live out the gospel. The good news, the confession of who Jesus is, if, if we confess what Jesus confessed, then that means that we live differently and a belief in the gospel immediately brings with it a command to live by the truth you believe. So I think that's the commandment there. There is some uncertainty there in the text. But what we do know is this commandment that Paul tells Timothy to follow is to also, um, his other commandment there is to keep it unstained. I can't help but when I read that text, that Romans 12, 9 always comes to mind. Where Paul writes, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Abhor what is evil. And hold fast to what is good. And then Paul moves to reminding Timothy that this God, this Jesus, of whom believers such as Timothy have confessed, that he is returning one day. So here's what we have. We have this idea, flee, flee these things that are ungodly, pursue things that are godly, fight the good fight of the faith, take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I dare you to write Spider-Man in the text there. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, so you keep the good confession and you keep the commandment unstained. And, you, and here's all those things that Paul has told Timothy to do. And here's why. Because the king of kings is returning. Because let me tell you, if he isn't returning, I have no interest in keeping any of the commands. Is that too honest for you? Paul himself would say that if this is not true, then we above all people should be pitied. But it is true. 
And so knowing this letter is a letter of encouragement to his young protege in Ephesus, who no doubt was struggling as a young pastor of a church that was just ridden with false teaching and false doctrines, and he was trying his best, his best to put his hands around it. No doubt he was discouraged and struggling in a city that was anything but godly. And Paul, at the end of this letter, tells him, flee those things. Pursue other things. Fight for the good fight of faith. Keep the commandments. And here's why, Timothy. Because he's coming back. He's coming back. So Paul reminds Timothy that this king of kings he who is blessed and only sovereign, the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. So listen, Timothy. Christianity is simple. Flee the things that don't please God and pursue the things that do. And listen, Timothy, you, you have the power to do that. Take hold of the eternal life to which you have been called. You have the power to live out what God has already given you. You have it in you, not by you, in you, by the Holy Spirit. To be this godly man. Isn't it interesting that he calls him a man of God? And then he tells him to flee and pursue. Because we all need to be reminded that we are to flee and to pursue. And he lays all this out to Timothy. And then as a source of encouragement and motivation. I can almost hear Paul saying, and when it gets hard, when things aren't going the right way, and when you're struggling to flee and to pursue, remember the only sovereign, King of kings, Lord of lords, who dwells in unapproachable life, whose dominion lasts forever. Listen, Timothy, he will return. And may that motivate you. What a powerful description of our God. Are you as a believer, fleeing things. It's probably those things that you're thinking about right now. Those sins and even non-sins. In Hebrews 12.1, there is sin and wait. You, you can actually have things that don't cause you to sin or that are not sinful of, in of themselves, but... They don't help you pursue godly things. And so what are those things for you? Paul would tell you to flee from them. To pursue godliness. He said, well, how do I pursue godliness? Be involved in a Bible-preaching church that commands you from the Scripture to flee and pursue 
That's one. To, to be in the Word on a regular basis is another. To be involved in prayer. To have regular accountability with other people who are also trying to flee and pursue. Be involved. Plug in. And then listen to the Holy Spirit. Believers, when you walk into things that are ungodly, you know it. You know when you've been ungodly. Because the Holy Spirit of God says, this is not for you. This is not where you should be. This is not what you should say. You know it. And so when you hear the Holy Spirit, obey the Holy Spirit. And that should all be wrapped around the reminder that He is returning. A simple sermon, but difficult to follow. Because at the end of the day, we all find sinful pleasures more enjoyable. We do. Because we have yet to completely wrap, wrap our minds around how good God is. We have our moments, don't we? We have our moments that our faith is unshakable. That God is our greatest pleasure. We, we have those moments, do we not? And then in like five minutes, you can be pursuing something else. The whole time, the Holy Spirit saying, this is not for you, this is not what you should do, this is not where you should go. Oh, that we would learn to know God more and more and more. Because the more we know God, the more we commune with God, the more we will find God more pleasurable than anything else out here. And may we be reminded that He is returning. Now, if you would sit here and say, I don't have the power to overcome this. I've never had the power to overcome sin. I don't have any desire for holiness. I don't have any desire for the things of God. I don't have any desire to be in a local church or to study my Bible or to pray or to be around God's people. And just be honest with you, it's not my desire that I would tell you that the Bible says you're not a believer. And so you would say, well, how do I become a believer? I'm glad you asked. So here's the gospel presentation. We... We're all born into sin. No one had to teach you how to sin. You sin naturally, all on your own. And that sin separated you from a holy, holy, holy God. And yet that holy God, though you were an enemy of him, and though you were actively involved in rebelling against him, even in that moment, God loved you. And he sent Christ to take your place on a cross where your sin would be nailed to the cross in Christ. And that for those of you who would put your faith and your trust in Christ, repent of your sin, believe in Christ, that Christ would give you his righteousness and you would be made different. Not perfect yet. Oh, but there's coming a day. There's coming a day where I will never have to worry about choosing the wrong thing again. That will be a good day.
Sin will have no power whatsoever. There will not even be a temptation. For those of you who would repent and believe, you would never be the same again. And by that change, you would know that you're a believer. Not because of a prayer you prayed or a card that you signed or a pastor's hand that you took, but because you truly repented and believed. And you don't need to take my hand to do that. It's always interesting to me when you see somebody in a hurricane clinging to a tree and the Coast Guard shows up and they drop down a ladder. No one is debating that. I've never heard a worship band on the helicopter, just as I am, take the ladder. I've never heard that. You know what happens? They want to be rescued. And if you're here today and you want to be rescued, here's what you do. You repent and you believe and your life will be changed forever. I'm going to have Aaron come up and play again. I think he might be prepared. Maybe he's not. He's just going to, he's going to play something anyway. I think he'll play the slave song again. How does that sound? Um, thankful for Aaron being able to fill in for Keith. Keith is on vacation this week visiting his son who leads worship at a church in Alabama. Uh, thank you to Alex who stepped up here, played guitar. We didn't know, brother. And Woody for playing drums. Appreciate that. He's going to play a little bit and just help us to meditate a little bit. And I would tell you that um, ask the Lord to reveal things in your heart that are ungodly. Uh, you probably already know those things. Find somebody in the church, even at this moment, while we're praying or singing or, per or he's playing and singing. Maybe you find someone now that would pray with you. Mm -hmm.